boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. It's always a lamp unto our feet. It's always a light unto our path. And so, Father, as we come on this Christmas Eve morning, as we celebrate it, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blood that he shed. We thank you for his obedience to you for his life and ours. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that what we hear will transform our lives, transform our thinking. And most of all, Father, it will help us live the abundant life that Jesus was born and died and rose again for us to have. In Jesus' name I pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Christmas is a wonderful time for you and I to reflect on how much love God has for us through the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as believers, I believe we have an obligation. Say obligation. We have an obligation to our children and to future generations to make sure that they understand that this season is not about the gifts as much as it is about the gift. And that gift is Jesus. And so today as part of my message, I'm going to be sharing some truthful facts surrounding the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the secondary focus of this uh, today's message will be on how, watch this now, to fight for the promise of God that he's made for your life. Amen. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, Hebrews 10, 23. And then we're going to go over to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14. That was Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23. And then Genesis chapter 3, verses 14. The secondary focus that we're going to look at is the fight that God, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had to endure to maintain God's promise in the earth of Jesus' birth. Because how many know without What Jesus did, we were all lost. Amen. So if you've been a student under my teaching for a while, you should know three things on how to study and read God's word. And if this is your first time hearing it, I just want you to write it down because the principles that I'm giving you now come out of how I study. So there are three things. Everybody say three things. There are three things that you and I can look for when we study God's word. Number one, God's word is made up of principles, protocol, and promises. Everybody say principles, Principles. protocol, and promises. And the principle is what God is instructing us to do. So when you're reading the Bible, you read, look for what God is telling you to do. That's number one. That's principles. And then protocol is how or the way he wants us to go about doing what he asks us to do. And then, of course, the promises are the rewards that you and I will receive from following the protocol. Now, with this foundational understanding that I just gave you, God's word is designed to interpret itself. 
And so that's why when you're studying the word or when you're listening to someone else preach, make sure that they are allowing God's word to interpret itself. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there are some facts that I'm going to show you about the birth of Jesus Christ that you may not have ever heard before. Amen. And so if, and then if you use what I just gave you, those three ways, the principles, protocol, and promises, if you look in, when you're reading, if you look through those eyes, you will maximize your spiritual results in your study time. Now, throughout the Bible, God made a promise, and that promise was needed in order for you and I to reconnect back to Him. In other words, if you go back in the first part of the Bible, you will see that God made a promise that he was going to have a son and this son was going to be birthed by a virgin woman. But most of us, you know, never see the fight side of Jesus' birth. Most of us only see the, you know, the facts about his birth, but we don't really see the fight that took place, not only For his birth, but during his lifetime as well. And the same goes for us. When God makes us a promise, most of the time, it's going to come with a fight. Just look at your neighbor and say, I came to fight this morning. Go on and tell him. And see, his word even, you know, says that, you know, fight the good fight of faith. And why is it a fight when God makes us a promise? Because God has an enemy And his job is to try to stop or slow down God's manifested promise in our lives. So I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10. They're going to put it on the screen. Hebrews 10 verses 23. And here's my goal this morning. I'm going to show you the process that God used when he gives us a promise. I'm going to show you how Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and God had to fight through the promise of Christ being here and then i'm going to show you how this works in our life in uh, hebrews 10 23 it says let us hold fast to the confession or the profession of our faith without wavering the word wavering there means leaning he says hold fast to your faith without leaning leaning what leaning to your own understanding for watch this he god is faithful that what promise now when you go to hebrews 11 11 Because I like really the description of Sarah in the Old Testament. I love what it says about her. It says, through faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Watch this. Because she judged God faithful who had promised. She judged God faithful. Faithful who had promised. Sarah judged God's faithfulness. Listen to her. Listen to this. Her promise, it wasn't based on her condition. It was based on God's ability. And when God gives you a promise, a lot of times the promise almost looks contradictory to what we're going through. But what you have to understand is God's ability to perform the promise has nothing to do with the conditions that surround you. Amen. And a lot of times we're judging God's ability to perform his promises in our lives. Watch this. As if or we're looking through the lenses of our situation or the impossibility of them. So now let's look at at, at Genesis chapter 3. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at the first promise and reference that God made about Jesus. 
Jesus, if you will look for him, you can probably spot a prophetic word or a description of who he was in the Old Testament in almost every book. And in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see what they call the law of first mention. Everybody say the law of first mention. In other words, we're going to now read the first time Jesus was ever mentioned in the book of Genesis. Look in verse 14. And it says, and the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle. Now, let me just give you the context quickly. Prior to reading this is when Adam and Eve ate what we call the forbidden fruit. And so what happened is now God is reprimanding the devil. And he says, above every beast of the field, you will go on your belly and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Everybody look at your name. Look at your name and say the devil should be under your feet. Look in verse 15. Here's the key now. God says to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it, the woman's seed, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I want you to notice something because this first prophetic promise and mention of Jesus Christ as our Savior, I want you to notice there are two seeds that were mentioned in this first prophetic promise of Jesus coming. There were two seeds. Everybody say two seeds. The first seed, watch this now, was the seed of Satan and the second seed was the seed of the woman. Do you see that? So the first promise about Jesus coming, watch this now, involved a demonic fight before he got here. Because God already said, listen, I'm sending someone and he's going to be the savior of the world. But also now Satan is going to bruise his heel. Now, Isaiah 7, 14 really kind of gives us the description of that verse. Uh, better. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Over the years, as time went by, people, when they not only believed this promise about the Messiah coming, Emmanuel coming. But listen, there were two sets of people looking for Jesus to come. It was God's people looking for Jesus to come because they needed a savior. But guess who else was looking for Jesus to come? The devil was looking for Jesus to come. Amen. And when God makes a promise to you and I, it doesn't go over well with with the enemy. But see, all we have to do is learn to stay focused. Say stay focused. We just need to stay focused on the promise instead of the persecutor. And throughout Bible times, these prophetic words about Jesus was going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And so as those prophetic words came, now we move into Luke chapter 2. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 2 or just put Luke chapter 2 verse 7 on the screen. Because what we're about to see now is the manifestation of the promise that he made in Genesis... It's now about to show up in the book of Luke thousands of years later. Now, you know, touch your neighbor and say, he's about to destroy your tradition. He's about to destroy it. I'm about to destroy it. Throughout Bible times and in most people's lives traditionally, we all know that Jesus was born in a manger. 
And contrary to popular belief, many people think that that manger was like a feeding trough. How many was taught like that? That he was, you know, it was like a little thing and Jesus was put in there. Put, raise your hand if you heard that. Raise your hand if you heard that. Okay. And so uh, uh, I'm going to show you that uh, the manger was not a feeding trough. See, it's quiet already. Look in verse 7, Luke chapter 2. And she brought forth her firstborn. Anytime you see the word firstborn, it means that she had a secondborn and a thirdborn. In other words, Jesus was not an only child. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in where? A manger because there was no room, watch this, for them in the end. Now, when you read that, it looks like, hey, Jesus by himself was in the manger because she laid him in a manger. Do you notice that? Now, notice it says that they did that because there was no room for them. Everybody say them. There was no room for them in the end. So my question is, now I'm about to destroy your tradition. But if the manger was this little thing that Jesus laid in there by himself, then where did Joseph and Mary lay down at? Hmm. Everybody say hmm. Now, let's look now in verses 12. Because verse 12 in chapter 2 shows us something. We read where it says, uh, the angel showed up to the shepherds. And in verse 12 it says, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying where? In a manger. That even sounds like that Jesus was laying maybe in this little box by himself. But now let's go to chapter 2. Let's look in verse 16. Because I'm about to show you something. It says now in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 16, and they came with haste. They came with haste, talking about the shepherds. Watch this now. And they found, read it with me, Mary and Joseph and the baby, what? Lying in the manger. Boy, if that manger was a little bitty box, boy, they all tied up in there, ain't they? Scoot over, you move, you move. I mean, it's some tight space. But see, let me show you something else. Uh, if you write down Luke chapter 13, verse 15, because I'm going to show you this Greek word for the word manger. It's the word fattening. And that's the word used here. So Mary, Joseph, and the baby was lying in the manger. But watch this now. In Luke chapter 13, verse 15, uh, Jesus makes a statement. And he says this. The Lord answered and said unto them, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? The word stall is the same Greek word for the word manger. Okay, so if that is the word manger, let's just read it in there. He said to them, does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead him away to watering? So based on the scripture, if it was a little bitty box, you can't get an ox in that. You, hello? I mean, that's a real crowded manger if it's a box. Well, here's the point. It wasn't a box. Mary, it was a, a manger was a place. It was like a, a barn or whatever. And they brought him. And, and listen, this just makes sense. When a baby is born. How many have had children before? Let me see your hand. You have children. Okay. When you have that baby. Okay. Let me ask you something. Do you think they had formula back in those days to feed Jesus? How many think they had formula back then? They had a formula. There was no formula. 
the formula was breast milk. Okay, so what are you doing when the baby comes out? You're not going to put him in a box over here. How you going to feed him? Just to fit the American's mindset, let's put him in a box. How you think he ate? What do you, how do you normally feed a baby? You put the baby in your arm and you feed him, right? So just look at your neighbor and say, I knew he wasn't born in no box. <laughs> now go to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, they're going to put Matthew chapter 2 up. Because see, after Jesus was born, you would have thought the promise that God made back in Genesis... Uh, when, when God made that promise, now the promise has been born. But see, it's not just enough for God to give you a promise. Because a lot of people's promises never manifest. Now, let me say it like this. A lot of people's promises either never got conceived or their promises eventually got aborted. One of the most wealthiest places on the earth, people say, are the graveyards because most people died with their potential. So here's the thing. When God makes you a promise, it's not just good enough for you to know what God wants you to do. You have to now fight until that promise comes into manifestation. And so in Matthew chapter 2, we read that now Jesus is born. They're traveling now to, 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 to go where God was leading them. And it says in verse 2 that the king said, where is born the king of the Jews? And we've seen his star in the east and we came to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all of Israel, let's just stop right there. Listen, when God makes you a promise, everybody's not going to be happy about it. Listen, when Joseph told his promise that God made him in the vision, when he told his brethren, what did they do? They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. So listen, don't expect your family to be happy when God makes you a promise. And don't you get mad at your family because they didn't believe. Because maybe you're the person that God's going to use just like he did Joseph to get your family out of the situation that they're in. So we see now that Herod wanted to come. So in verse 4, and when they had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Jesus would be born. And they said in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, as written by the prophet. And so uh, in verse 7, then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time to stop here. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search for the young child. Notice now, he didn't say, go search for the baby. He said, go search for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may worship him. And when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young child. Say, young child. Verse 10. And when they, the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come where? Into where? The house. So listen, the shepherds saw him in the manger. Now these wise men show up at the house. They saw the young child, not a baby, with Mary and his mother, or Mary his mother, and fell down and worshiped. Now here's another thing. Joseph wasn't there that day. I don't know. Maybe he was outside chopping wood. I don't know. But he wasn't mentioned right here. And it says, uh, 
they came and they worshipped him and they opened their treasures, gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Watch this now. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their country in an own way, in their own way. Watch verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. Why? Because Herod is seeking to destroy the child. Here it is. God made a promise all the way over there in Genesis. I'm going to send a person. And this person is going to save mankind from their sin. So watch this now. He was announced with an enemy. Then he gets born over here in Luke chapter 1. He's now being born. And here it is. You would think that everything will be okay. No, he is physically born now. And the devil's still trying to wipe him out. So we see here it says Herod wants to kill the child. Watch verse 14. So... He arose, took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And while they were, well, listen, and was there until the death of Herod that he might be fulfilled. What's verse 16? No. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked, remember these, these, this is his son or somebody who took up the, 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 the throne after him. When he saw that he was mocked of the wise men and was exceeding wrath, watch what happened. He said, Kill all the children from two years old and under according to the time which he had inquired. So here is why they kill children from two years old down. Because remember, when the, when the shepherd showed up, he was a baby. When the wise men showed up, it took them almost two years to find Jesus. And that's why Herod said, I'm just going to wipe everybody out from two years old down. And that's why that took that, 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 that happened like that. So now, let me ask you a question. Does it look like Jesus had an enemy? Well, if Jesus had an enemy, you have one too. So let me ask you a boring question or a sobering question. If there was a fight to get Jesus here, a fight to keep him here long enough for him to complete God's divine assignment for his life. Do you think there will be a fight for you when you receive a promise from God? Let me explain how promises are given. See, most of the time people don't know how God's promises in their life are going to come. So I'm going to give you a few steps here on how to receive God's promises. Because I want you to know that when he gives you one, a fight's going to start. Amen. So so here's how it works. Here's the first thing. Number one, God's promises start in seed form. His promises start in seed form. And this is why you got to start with the word. Because the word is seed. Amen. When when the word is coming forth, God can give you a dream. He can birth a promise inside of your heart from his word. So promises start in seed form. Everybody say promises. Start in seed form. Here's number two. Once the seed, watch this, is heard, because how does the word come? It comes from hearing, right? Once the seed is heard, we must make, watch this, make sure our hearts are in the right condition for that promise to grow. In other words, now, you hear God's word, you read it, a promise is birth. Wow, a promise that my, me and my household shall be saved. That means it doesn't matter how my children are acting, they're going to be saved in Jesus' name. 
I read a promise that he'll make me the head and not the tail. So it doesn't matter what position I have in work. Even if I'm at the bottom, I'm going to end up at the top because he said I would. Even though I may feel pain in my body when I woke up this morning, the reality of the situation is by his stripes, I'm already healed. So watch this. It comes in seed form. But then you and I must make sure our hearts are in the right condition for this promise to grow. I'm about to say something that I may want you to write down. It says, here's this. Why? Your heart will be the home for this promise until manifestation. I'm going to say that again. Your heart is going to be the home for the promise that God makes you until manifestation comes. And this is why a lot of people, when God makes them a promise, the promise does not manifest because they don't keep their heart in the right condition. You forgiving your baby daddy has nothing to do with what he did or didn't do to you. It has all to do with you keeping your heart in the right condition so the promise of God can grow in your heart. So once now your heart is in condition where this promise can grow, here's number three. Once this promise is planted, it must be nurtured with God's word or water of God's word and water from your own words. In other words, now the promise is inside my heart. I got to make sure my heart stays right. But then in addition to that, I have to now start watering this promise that God has made. I'm talking to somebody right now. He made a promise that you would get married. Okay, you have to water that promise. You water it with your word. He said he would give me the desires of my heart. Okay, and then you water it with your word. I'm lovable. I'm beautiful. I'm handsome. Whatever your your uh, adjective is about yourself. And say, uh, if you're a lady... I'm going to be a lady real quick. If you're a lady, man, I tell you what, I'm a good thing and men are looking for me to find. And if you're a man, you say, Lord, I thank you for discerning eyes and a discerning heart that I can see my wife when I see her. So you got to water the promise that's in your heart because see, death and life is in the power of your tongue. Proverbs 13, 2, I love this verse. It says, a man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth. Verse 3 says this, he that keeps his mouth keeps his life, but he that open wide his lips shall have destruction. So you got, in the midst of you now, managing this promise that God's given you, you got to control your mouth. And this is why God, when John the Baptist's dad prayed to have a son, and the angel came to him and said, Zacharias. Listen, God heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. And your, old, your, your wife, that old woman, she's going to have one too. And the Bible says, Zechariah said, man, how can this be? I'm old. I'm this and that. And the Bible says, the angel said, I am Gabriel and I stand before God. And because you didn't believe, I got to shut your mouth. You know why he made him shut his mouth? Because his mouth would have aborted what God wanted him to have. And a lot of times we're judging the promise that we don't have based on, watch this, God's inability to to do it. But it's not that. What it is, it's because we are aborting the promise with the words of our own mouth. Amen. Once now I'm nurturing this promise with my words and with God's word. Then now I have to protect my heart from conflicts, hurts, and offenses. I'm going to say that again. Once now, I've been watering the promise with my words. See, y'all don't understand. You have to see it before you receive it. You got to see yourself married. You got to see yourself 
in your new car. You got to say yourself, you know, with, with, a, with, a, with the, the thousand dollar weave. You got to see it. <laughs> you got to see yourself. Ain't no, no, ain't, ain't no weave is good. Weave is good. You got to see yourself. But you have to protect your heart from conflicts, hurts, and offenses. Mark chapter 4. Let's go there. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And I'm almost through here. Mark chapter 4. Uh, here's where I believe most people's faith get off the wagon. This is where the wheel falls off. Because most people, they're doing good. And the heart's good. The word's good. And everything's coming in. But then, watch this now. In Mark chapter 4, is in verse 14, it says, The sower sows the word. And then these are they by the wayside when the word is sown. When they heard it, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. Watch verse 16. And these are they. Here's what I'm talking about. They which are uh, sown on stony ground who when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Here's the 17 that that deals with now uh, conflicts and stuff. And they have no root in themselves. And so they endure for a time. Afterwards, watch this, when affliction... When persecution, when lies, when issues arise for the word's sake, when people are talking about you, it has nothing to do with you. They're just trying to get the word out of you. Watch out, watch what it says this. It says immediately, it says when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Offense is the biggest weapon that the devil uses against a believer. And most of the time we get offended over something that has nothing to do with us. I'm amazed at how people get offended over somebody else's stuff. Amen. Proverbs 4.23, the Amplified says, Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it flows the springs of life. You have to maintain a clean heart. You listen, your heart determines the fertility of the seed of the promise that God put in you. As you maintain a clean heart now, you know when offenses are coming. You know it's coming. See, sometimes you just have to give people instant forgiveness. Don't think about it because you're going to get mad. Now, let me just straighten this out. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. It didn't say you couldn't get angry. It just said, don't sin. That means throw things and cuss people out. See, can't do that. But he did say, it's okay to get mad. But he said, don't sin with that. You must maintain a clean heart. Watch this. You must maintain a consistent faith diet of the word. How does faith come? It comes by what? Hearing. If faith comes by hearing, listen to me now, faith stays by hearing. And most people, when it comes to the promises of God, he gives them a promise. They get excited about it. They start confessing the word over their life. They start seeing their life gets better. But what they fail to do, they fail to stay with a strict faith diet. Amen. 
You're going to raise your hope and your expectation by seeing the promise take place in your life. You need to surround yourself with pictures and promises and and watch this and surround yourself with people that'll keep you in faith. If you have people that's in your life that don't keep you in faith, you need to remove yourself from them. Now, let me just say this too, because when God gives a promise, just write down Luke chapter 10, verse 2, this is what it says. It says, therefore, he said unto him, the harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Pray you, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors. First Corinthians 3, 6 and 7 says, I planted Apollos water, but God, but God, but God gave the increase. God is responsible for the manifestation of the promise. You cannot manipulate God until when you want him to do it. He is the Lord of the harvest. Now listen, if God wants to give you a prophetic timeline, fine. But a lot of times, he's not going to give you a timeline. You know what he's going to give you? He's going to give you a patience line. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promise. Listen, walking by faith is not using a crystal ball or a magic eight. But if he gives you a prophetic promise, let me tell you something. If it's a real man of God or woman of God, whatever they say will come to pass. I never forget my first prophetic, my first, my first prophetic unction as a pastor was 12 years ago. And we're in a, uh, we're in the house, you know, we, st- we like Jesus. We started our ministry in the house. And so we're at the house doing intercessory prayer and we're praying. And uh, there was this couple there. And uh, uh, as I was praying, we got done praying. The Lord asked me to tell them. Or he said, ask them, are they trying to get pregnant? I asked them, I said, y'all trying to get pregnant? They said, oh, yeah, we've been trying to get pregnant for a while now. When they said that, before I could manage what I was about to say, it came out. Have you ever said something and you wish you hadn't said it after you said it? Sometimes when prophetic unctions come on me, I I can't take it back. It it comes out before I can reel it back in. And before I knew it, I said, God said, you're going to get pregnant and have the baby in the same year. When I said, I was like, what? (laughs) Do you know how accurate you have to be? Now, it was doing fasting and praying. Thank God it was January. (laughs) That gives God enough time to work this thing out. So how many know I fasted and prayed some more? I told this couple, I said, you're going to conceive and have the baby in the same year. They were excited. I was not. I'm like, Lord, gee, did you just hear yourself? So then somewhere in the year, she got pregnant. How many know I was excited about that? I was excited because that's a miracle. They've been trying to do it for a while now. It didn't happen. Now the man of God has spoken. Conception has taken place. But I'm like, well, Lord, listen, hey, now uh, we got four more months. Whenever, you know, I don't remember the timeline, but I do know she went to the doctor and the doctor told her the due date is January. I said, oh, Lord, I tell you what, are they still stoning prophets? Because that's not what I told them. I'm, I'm a new pastor. I don't need to be stoned. New pastor, Word of Truth Family Church, lied to the member. He got stoned. They don't use stone these days. He got shot with a 12-gauge. <laughs> Let me hurry up. So, so 
I told them, right? And they came to me and said, Pastor, uh, my doctor said uh, uh, the baby's going to come in January. I said, the man of God said, you will conceive and have the baby in the same year. And I went back behind the scene. I was like, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know. How many know the baby came early and the baby was born in December? Somebody give the Lord a hand clap. What's my point? If God gives you a prophetic timeline for your promise, fine. But if he doesn't, here's the next thing as we close. You're going to have to learn to fight the good fight of faith. And there are six things you got to do to fight the good fight of faith for your promise. Here's the first thing you have to understand. This is not number one. You just got to understand that this fight I'm talking about is spiritual and not physical. Because, see, I can see some of y'all fighting people on the job. Don't fight Leroy. So here's the first thing, and you can just write down Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 because all the principles are in this, this, uh, in that, uh, text. So here's the first thing. You gotta fight by staying dressed. If you look in verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I heard somebody say one time, I wake up in the morning, I, I dress myself with the armor of God. I'm like, you should have had it while you were asleep. Don't listen, listen, the armor, you don't take it off. So you got to keep the armor, you got to stay, everybody say stay dressed. You got to stay dressed because you don't ever know when the devil going to try to roll up on you. Here's number two. You're going to fight by standing. Look in verse 11. Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand. Watch this. Against the wiles of the devil. So watch this. When all of these men come and they look like they the one and you know they're not the one, you're supposed to stand. Stand. I know she's fine. Stand, brother. Stand with your eyes closed. Stand. Just stand. One year go by, stand. Two years go by, stand. Three years go by, stand. Listen, it's not how much time that goes by. It's my ability to stand. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And let me tell you this. I would rather stand 20 years and get married than to fall in the first marriage. You got to stand. Here's number three. You have to fight by withstanding. Look in verse 13. He says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in evil days. Standing and withstanding are different. Standing is just you being able to stand up. You know how you get tired and be like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, Lord. Okay. And, you know, you change your position. But, you you know, you're still standing. Withstanding is when somebody's trying to push you down and you don't go down. I ain't falling, devil. I'm staggering, but I ain't falling. You got to withstand. Here's number four. You fight by using the shield of faith to quench negativity. Look at verse 16. Above all, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith so you can quench all the lies of the devil. And then I love verse 17 because it gives us the next thing. You fight by praying the word and praying in the spirit. He says, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Watch this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Notice he says that we should pray. Take the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Praying always. Pray with the word. The word works. 
So as we close right here. So you all know the story. We're under construction right now. And the six acres that we are building on, remember, we now have another 14 acres that we still be, we are able to, to build on. So we're, we're building on the six. But when we first bought the 14 acres, the six acres were not ours. And uh, God told me that was our six acres. So I went to the family who was selling it. And at the time, they had 14 acres for sale. I didn't want 14. I only wanted the six. That's what the Lord wanted me to do. But they wouldn't separate the 14 because, see, the other eight was no good. Well, I don't want to buy property that's no good. So i like, hey, we just want to buy the six. And they just wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't do it. No, we want to sell the whole 14. We want to sell the whole 14. Well, a couple of years go by, a year and a half go by because sometimes you have to stand. So I'm standing. And I get a phone call from, the, from my broker, uh, Pastor Connor, I just want you to know that another pastor is purchasing that property, that six acres you wanted. I said, what? I said, the six acres? I said, did they make him buy the 14? They said, he said, no. I said, what? What did he say that I didn't say? So I said, do you have his number? He says, yes. So I called this pastor up. I didn't know him. Had never met him. I called the pastor up. I said, hey, pastor, this is uh, Pastor Evan Connor, Word of Truth Family Church. He says, I know who you are. I said, oh, my God, this ain't going to go good right here. I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules of darkness. So I said, uh, well, pastor, uh, we don't have a sign on the 14, but we own the frontage to the property you're looking at. We were going to use that six as an addition to our campus. He said, well, look like we're going to be neighbors. How many know I said that devil is a lie? I said it to myself, the devil is a lie. Because I know what God told me. Now, see, I'm talking to some people right now because, see, you think God has reneged on his promise. Just because it doesn't look right and just because it has taken a long time and just because you're going through ups and downs and situations and trials and tribulations, what you don't understand is that that has nothing to do with the promise he made. So I said, well, Lord, you told me that six acres was ours. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let you handle it. Because remember, here's the last point. Who's the Lord of the harvest? God is. He's the one that controls the timeline, not you. I said, God, I'm going to let you have it. Year and a half go by, almost two years. Get a call from the same broker. In the meantime, what am I doing? Come on, class. What am I doing? I'm standing. I get a call. It's Pastor Connor. You know that six acres you wanted? Uh, uh, Is the church still interested? I said, why? Well, that that church is eight months behind and the family wants to know, will you buy it? Will you want to buy it? How many know I didn't check in with y'all? I said, yeah. (laughs) And watch this. Not only were we able to buy the property, we bought it for $100,000 less than what the other church bought it for. Here's where it gets wild. Here's where it gets wild. God gave me a price. He never hardly gives me that. You know, a lot of times I'm negotiating on stuff. He just, you know, you just negotiate from your head and you minister from your heart. Well, uh, this particular time I asked the Lord for a price. I said, Lord, is there, is there any particular price you want us to pay? And he told me the price. He had never done that before. I said, interesting. And it was way below the price they was asking. I'm like, Lord, look, you're going to have to do something with this. Because I wouldn't even buy it for what I'm offering. I told the broker, I said, uh, I went to the broker 
And I said, oh, we want to buy this property. Uh, he said, well, how much you want to pay for it? I said, I don't know. Let me pray about it. He said, okay. I mean, he know I'm a pastor, so I pray about it. This was on a Friday. He said, well, how many days you need? I said, oh, I don't need them but a couple of days. I know how to hear from God. So Tuesday rolled, Monday, Tuesday rolled around, and uh, God gave me that crazy low number. So when the broker called, I didn't even answer his phone. I'm like, oh, I don't want to tell that man. I don't, I don't even believe the price that God gave me, so he ain't going to believe it. So I'm like, I ain't, I ain't picking this phone up. And so long story, I, I finally called him, and I gave him the number. He said, Pastor Connor, it's already a good deal at the price it is. I said, I know that, but the Lord told me this number. So we're negotiating with this family, and finally I said, listen, we're all Christians. That means we all have to obey God. God told me this number. I can't go past this number. And see, they got upset because they, 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 you know, I made it sound like they couldn't hear from God. But they didn't ask God for a price. I did. <laughs> so finally, I did, they saw I wasn't going to budge. I said, oh, I can't go past that number. My faith won't let me. I'm going to obey God. So finally they said, well, Pastor Connor, if God gave you that number, I'm going to say it like they said, Pastor Connor, if God gave you that number, then you must pay cash for it. I'm like, oh. See, at first they was going to finance it. Now the Lord done got me in a jam right now. He gave me a number. Now they want cash for it. I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? He said, Evan, write the check. I said, Lord, I ain't never wrote a check that big. Write the check. But I ain't never wrote no check that big. Write the check. So me and Miss Fuller wrote the check because I was scared to write by myself. I was like, we going to both go to jail together. We going to jail together. I ain't going to jail by myself. Writing a big old check this big. I mean, it was like a, uh, it was like three hundred some thousand dollar check. Ain't never wrote no check that big. We own the property today and we're building on it because when God makes a promise to you, He's faithful to that promise. Did you get blessed today? With every head bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. What a day to make. To give Jesus your heart. What a day to do that. I mean.